Hey, Brian Kane, the host of the Mental Performance Mastery podcast series here with you. And thanks for checking out this Golf Mental Performance Mastery podcast with Kane and Carp, or what we're going to refer to as Golf MPM. Now, this is a podcast I've recorded with University of Denver men's golf coach, Trey Carpenter, where we talk specifically about golf mental performance, swing management, course management, and most importantly, self-management. Now, you're going to hear us in the first seven episodes refer to this podcast as Breakfast Balls. That was the name of it before I had a moment and said, you know what, we should actually just call this podcast what it is, Golf Mental Performance Mastery. So if you hear us referring to Breakfast Balls, we now call it Golf Mental Performance Mastery. Glad that you are going to listen. And if you ever want to join the show live, just send me an email, brian at briancane.com, and we can get you on the show. Or if you go to the No Filter Network, so check out No Filter Network and then click on Hosts, click on Brian Kane, and you can get yourself a ticket to come on, ask questions. We'd love to have you. Thanks for checking out the Golf Mental Performance Mastery Podcast with Kane and Carp. Take it one shot at a time and let's dominate the day. Hey, we're here with the Breakfast Balls Podcast. Brian Kane, Mental Performance Coach, Trake Carpenter, Head Men's Golf Coach, Denver University. Trake, what's happening, man? How are you? Good. I need to give me one of those shirts. Yeah, you need to get a No Filter Network shirt. They're coming soon. You can get your swag at nofilternetwork.com or should I say nofilter.net. But what do you got going on, TC? I've uh, been working on trying to finalize our, our schedule for next year. So it's exciting trying to piece together kind of a game plan for the year and spacing things out and um, trying to keep kind of pushing things in a, in a tougher direction with the schedule. So that's exciting. When you say tougher direction with the schedule, what do you mean? Like tougher as in we're going we're gonna to travel by bus, not plane, or tougher as in we want to face the best damn golf programs in the country because that's who we want to be. What do you mean by tougher? The best teams we can play every single week, bar none. We don't have one cupcake on the schedule, and I have no desire to do that anytime going forward. So, um, you know, it's one of those things I, I've told the guys from day one, like, if we want to be the best, we have to play against the best each week. It, it, and we may not see the fruits of that tomorrow, but if we play them week in and week out and see what they do and learn from them and learn how to compete and, you know, the work that we do with you in the long run, um, you know, we're going to belong with those teams. It's gonna, We're going to beat one of those teams, right? So, you know, we're going to keep doing that until um, until we get there. You know, and you guys just played in a, in a, in a college golf tournament up at, at your – former coaching stomping ground Stanford University and after day one of the three-day tournament you guys were sitting in third place behind the host Stanford and I think the number two ranked college golf team in America Arizona State you know and so day one you guys are sitting in third place and talk to me about as a coach how you, when you're preparing for that and all the work that you've been doing and finally you're like okay our guys are executing what it is we're trying to get them to do and this is the result that they get what was the difference, let's say, that round, if you look at it from like a, a, you know, Mark Brody, every stroke counts, kind of shots gained approach or what they were doing on the course from a golf perspective, what were they doing to help them to, to be in that third place in that stacked field after day one? Yeah, I think some things we've been pushing lately, and we've been doing it since the beginning of the season, it's just like being totally committed to every shot, having a game plan, sticking to it. And I think in the last, Maybe in the last month, we've got a little bit more specific on what that looks like. So like, for instance, no double bogeys. Like when we go play golf courses that don't have a lot of out of bounds, hazards and stuff like that, there's not a lot of trouble. 
if you're making a double bogey, it's usually compounded errors. So, you know, you get in trouble and you try to be a hero and then you get in further trouble. And now we're staring double bogey in the face and we've only made one bad swing. Like you can recover from one bad swing, but you can't recover from a bad swing and bad self-management or bad strategy. You, you get like one mistake. And if you have two, you start flirting with double bogeys. So I think that was the first round we've had all year with no double bogeys. Um, so I think that's a big part of why you see us up there because you make a double, it's, it's hard and you need three birdies to get, get that back and, and get above water. So guys are really buying into that. Um, and then basic stuff like not three putting inside 30 feet, you know, it's guys get out there and they get a 15 footer and they get excited and you're maybe trying to get one back or get off to a good start. And you really go after one and try to make it and you run it three and a half feet by and also be three putt from 15 feet. You know, you went from a good birdie opportunity to walking away with bogey. Um, so stuff like that, just, you know, getting good speed on it, stuff like that. And then I think the, um, the third thing is not making bogeys with wedges. So like, you know, 150 yards and in, like, just give yourself a look. It, it doesn't have to be six feet. It doesn't have to be a kick in, like hit it to the fat side, you know, 12 to 15 feet and, and just give yourself a look and move on. Those are scoring opportunities. And if you hit enough good shots in there, you're going to have some that end up close. You're going to make a couple putts, but. If you go knocking the flagstick down every time with a wedge and get yourself in trouble, all of a sudden, you know, you miss one or two yards and you're, you're having to chip versus a birdie putt. And, you know, you miss a four quarter, you're walking out of there with bogey when you should have had a birdie opportunity. So, you know, those are three things I think we can somewhat control a little bit when it comes to self-management and course management. And you can get away with some bad swings if you're, you're paying attention to those other two. So. You know, we did all those things, I think, really well that first round. And it was interesting because after the round, I think the guys were a little bit surprised in where we were on the leaderboard, like that high, because we didn't play overly well. Like everyone didn't just go out there and light it up. And I think oftentimes a lot of players and teams get caught in that trap of like, in order to compete at, at a really high level, you have to go out there and like, play above what you're capable of. And that's not what it is. It's all five guys buying into keeping it simple, one shot at a time, stick to your game plan. If you make a mistake, get back on and just keep moving forward. And, and we kept preaching out the final two rounds. I think we had some more physical mistakes and got into trouble. But, um, you know, overall, I think they kind of, their eyes were open at the end of that round. And so, hey, like we can compete with anyone just by doing these things. And not even playing that well. And if we do play well, then look out, right? So that's kind of, I think, what we're slowly starting to learn as we compete more and more this year. You know, and, and does a situation like that, like, does that give, you know, your guy, I mean, obviously there's a consistency factor and you have the golf tournament's not one day, there's two day, three days to the tournament that you guys are playing in the college level. But what does that do, you think, for the confidence and the belief in process when your guys see, look, we didn't, we didn't shoot the lights out and get a ton of birdies, but we didn't get any double bogeys. And we're sitting in third place in a, in, a, in a college golf tournament that is littered with teams that will be playing in the NCAA postseason. What does that do for their confidence to think in the buy-in and process when they see that result? Yeah, I think like we talk about, it's progress, not perfection. And, um, you know, we've had a couple of calls this spring where I think we get behind the eight ball early. And then, like you said, we start getting primal or perfect or, you know, all these things that get us away from what we do. And I think when you get off to a good start 
it's a lot easier to stick with the process than when you get behind the eight ball. Um, and we, we did have some instances, I think in the final round, myself included, where we were starting to slip down the leaderboard and I think we could feel it and made some decisions that were away from our game plan and ended up costing us even further. So, you know, it's one of those things where I'm not immune to it either. We all have to constantly be disciplined and aware of what's going on around us, but at the same time, not let that affect what our decisions are and, and keep moving forward with the game plan. And I think that's where the confidence comes from being able to do what we do and not have to change it because of what's going on around us. And, and it's easier when you do it early rather than get behind the eight ball. And then I think you start pressing and chasing a little bit more. So it was good to get that experience. Um, I think for kind of the first time this spring, and I think it'll give us confidence going forward that, you know, we were in the heat of battle for the first time really at the top of the leaderboard. And and we know that we can go out there and compete with anyone just by doing what we do and not having to be perfect. We're here on the Breakfast Balls podcast on No Filter Network. And we've got some people in the chat here. If anybody has questions for Coach Trey Carpenter or for myself, Brian Kane, please go ahead and put them inside of the chat. If you want to join us here live on the recording of the Breakfast Balls podcast on the No Filter Network, just go ahead and hit the knock, knock function and we'll bring you into the call. Trey, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was was we won't, we don't want to play any cupcakes. We want to go play. And I would say you would you definitely would want to play Sprinkles cupcakes if they ever had a team because Sprinkles cupcakes are amazing. Them and crumble cookies on the top two of my dessert lists. But when you're and as a former yogurt shop owner, you know all about desserts. But when we're looking at not playing cupcakes and playing a really difficult schedule, I mean, in in, in football. You play Alabama or you play, you know, South Alabama, those are two different teams. But when you're playing in golf, aren't you always competing against yourself in the course anyway? I mean, does it matter if if the top 10 teams are in the field? I mean, it just means you got to play better to win, obviously, but because they're going to play better than the bottom 10 teams in the country. But when you're saying play against these other great teams, would you kind of unpack that mentality along with playing against the course in yourself? Yeah, I think there's a couple aspects to it. I mean, when you play the better, better tournaments, like in college specifically, they're usually on better golf courses, right? So, you know, like next year, we're going to play Aaron Hills and Mirabelle and go back to PGA West. Um, you know, we're going to play golf courses that have hosted major championships. And that kind of comes with having really good teams, right? So, A, we get to play a golf course that's really challenging, which is good preparation for postseason or professional career or whatever it may be. And at the same time, when you're playing better teams, it holds you more accountable to doing what you need to do. Like, you know, if we go play a cupcake schedule, we can go out there and kind of go through the motions and get maybe fourth out of 12. But does that really make us better versus playing in a tournament where we go out there and we really grind it out? We stick to our game plan and we play OK and we get 11th out of 12. You know, like we may get better that week getting 11th out of 12. Because we have to, we have to be more on our game than when we go somewhere that, that we can compete just because we show up and just go through the motions and get fourth. You know, do we really get better that week, even though we, we get more wins? You know, I, I don't think so in the long run. So, you know, for me, it's constantly preparing these guys for hopefully a career after college, right? And then also, you know, an environment that's going to be more like what we're going to see in the postseason going forward. So, and like you said, it's not like we're playing those teams while they're out there, but I think there's just certain nuances to those events, but the golf course and and how we have to be sharper and, and 
buy in more to what we're, we're doing and having a good game plan and being focused and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think we push a, a lot quicker forward than we do if we're, you know, playing cupcakes, quote unquote. Yeah. I mean, when, when you, when you, and the cool part about golf, right, is it, is the, the score doesn't lie. The score is the indicative of how you played, right? It's not, and as a golf coach, the thing that's always attracted me about that sport, and if I were to, if I were to rebrand myself and reinvent myself, I'd want to come back as a, as a college golf coach. And reason being is it is so objective. You know, if I'm a football coach, it's very subjective in terms of like, I got to make a decision on who plays in college golf. You have to go do a qualifier and the guys who win are the guys who play. So it's very objective in the sense that, you know, your score dictates how well you play. So I think that's the cool part about coaching golf is, you know, we're out in the field and we're playing against these top teams in the country who we want to be, but we're ultimately playing against the course and ourselves. What happens, you think, Trey, because I've heard this where when guys would play in a group with Tiger Woods, they were like a stroke to a stroke and a half worse over the course of a tournament than they were when they were not in a group with Tiger Woods. How does who you play with in your group or who you're with in the field, how does that affect you to that extreme? I think it's interesting because it depends a lot on each player. Like, you know, we've got guys like myself included who are more introverted. And so when they go out and play golf in a tournament, it's kind of like they put the blinders on a little bit. They do their thing. You know, they're not overly chatty. It's just kind of more their, their personality. Right. And so they play their best golf that way versus guys who are more extroverted, like to go out there and be super social. They'll chat with their competitors and it's time to hit the shot. You know, they lock into the hourglass, but between shots, they're chatty and, and stuff like that. And so someone like that gets with a Tiger Woods who's maybe not as chatty. Then it becomes a strange environment for them, right? Or someone who's very internal, got the blinders on, and all of a sudden there's 30,000 people following this group versus the normal 300 that they have. And now all of a sudden they're quiet and all they see is people like, you know, that may freak them out. So I think it's different for each person, depending on kind of how they compete and what their game plan is between shots. Because I think that's, you talk about Tiger and it, it was even like, the group in front of Tiger would feel it because the gallery would constantly move ahead of him. You know, they would feel it. So there's constantly this environment. We don't deal with that in college golf, but I think in the pro game, you definitely deal with, you know, what's my personality on the golf course? Am I chatty with the guys? Am I not chatty? Are they, are they chatty with me? Do I get chatty when I'm nervous? Do I get quiet when I'm nervous? Do I change? You know, I think there's a lot of variables there and just being aware of how you play best. And trying to do that more often, no matter what you know environment you're in, if you're in the lead, if you're in the first group, whatever it may be, I think is big. Um, you know, we had a scenario this week. We played with a kid from Pepperdine who got named to the Walker Cup. A kid from SMU who's playing in the Masters this week. Another kid who's playing the, the Valero Texas Open. You know, so it's easy for our guys to go out there and be like, "No crap, this kid's top 50 in the world. He's playing in the Masters next week." Um, and, and get caught up on that kind of stuff. But I think the one thing we talked about a little bit was they got done and, and they were like, well, like I can do a majority of what those guys do on the golf course. Right. You know, like the kid that's playing in the masters, he hasn't been playing great lately. You know, he's struggling a little bit, but how he carries himself, he doesn't lose his confidence. You know, he's out there, he's sticking to his game plan. Um, it will be on the first team, made par, like just everything fell right off his back. I think seeing that, and internalizing what that looks like is is big 
And if you can do that versus getting caught up in, oh, I'm playing with XYZ, I need to do this and be perfect and, you know, start, start going back and forth between what someone else is doing and what you're doing, you'll get in trouble. But if you can focus on what you're doing after the round, go back and reflect on, hey, like, he's doing things that I can do, right? And start you and start kind of mending that, mending that into your game a little bit, I think is what we're trying to go for when we're playing, uh, you know, with guys like that and getting opportunities. You know, it's interesting you mentioned a player from SMU who's got an opportunity to, to get into the Masters here coming up. I think it's about April 9th or April 8th, April 11th, coming up here pretty quick. And, you know, Bryson DeChambeau, uh, when I was working with, with Chad Morris and the SMU football team, I mean, Bryson used to come out to, to practice, you know, and, and was a big fan of their football program. And I think he'd won the USM and he came out and he had this gigantic case with a trophy that was looked like the Stanley Cup. I mean, the thing was massive, you know, and. It's interesting, Bryson being at SMU and, you know, Chad Morris, their football coach, who just today took probably the greatest high school football program in the country, Allen, Texas. He went from, from Clemson as the offensive coordinator to SMU as the head coach to Arkansas as the head coach to Auburn as the offensive coordinator. And he just took Allen High School where Kyler Murray went. He just took the head job there. So, you know, super cool to see Chad get back into the game. But talking about SMU, one of the questions that come into our chat here uh, from Joe is he said, how are guys like Bryson DeChambeau changing the college game? I mean, Bryson's driving at 380 yards over a lake, you know? Are the kids hitting the gym and powerlifting and trying to get more distance and kind of changing their game? Because Rory McDonald talked about how he was trying to chase the distance to keep up with Bryson, and it negatively affected his game. How are you seeing that impact now kind of from college golf and down below with even the kids you're, you're, you're recruiting at the youth level and seeing kind of the change that Bryson is rippling out throughout out the game? Yeah, I think even outside of Bryson, just the, the direction the game has gone, even since I played, you know, 10, 12 years ago, is everyone overall seems generally longer. And if you're if you're a shorter guy that makes it through, you seem to be more of the outlier than the rule. Um, and so I think, you know, from a young age, guys are getting into you know, speed sticks now. The way they train is different, you know, like, it, does, it, does it do you any good to go out there and do a triathlon? If you're a golfer, like, no, mentally, maybe physically, no, not really. It's you want that quick twitch speed. You know, it's a it's a two second max effort and, and golfers are starting to train that way. So I think we'll see see benefits even in the short term from the way we train. Um, and then strategically, I think what Bryson's doing, that's that's what kind of motivated this. He realized if I can get it farther than anyone else out there, I have a little bit more room to to spray it a little bit on most golf courses and get away with it. Because when I hit it good, I'm going to be so much farther ahead than those guys. I'm playing a different game. Right. So he's basically just kind of ran the math long-term um, that, Hey, I'm, I'm going to come out ahead if I just play this thing out. And, and I think the college game is, I don't know that you see any guys like going full Bryson out there right now. You do see a lot more speed sticks in the bags. You know, our guys are usually traveling with them. You'll see them with other guys in the bag. Um, I think it's something, and I've told our guys to like, we don't have to, you know, I don't want them to chase something like Rory said, where it gets to be a problem, but it's like constantly just trying to inch a little bit further, you know, like, let's just get a yard here and there, a yard a month, you know, and in three years, we're hitting it 30, 40 yards farther. Also, our game is totally different. You know, it's not like it happens overnight, but just constantly the way we train, doing the speed sticks, um, just keeping it top of mind because I think we're going to get to a point where 
everyone there, there's going to be kind of a floor on where you can compete with how long the golf courses are just the way strategy plays out. It gets very difficult to play if your ball speed is, you know, under 170 on the PJ tour right now. And I think college is going to be pretty, pretty close to that benchmark soon. Awesome. And I think that, you know, part of the, part of the data and the analytics in terms of, you know, how, how, how does my game reflect into this course? And is my training, you know, you go back, you go back to the training and the training piece you said you know, about being explosive and not training like a long distance runner or a triathlete, but training like a power lifter, training like somebody who's explosive because a golf swing is a, you know, three second, maybe max three second explosion. And I think that's the thing that I love about golf is it's like, you have to be so cerebral with going through the think box and all the stuff you're doing in terms of creating the shot and what you want to do. And then it, then it's just a violent action, right? So it's like a conservative target with a violent swing or a conservative target with an aggressive, fully committed swing. So I like to say conservative targets, committed swings. And when we're speaking about, you know, committed swings, uh, one of the guys on the PGA tour who just won recently, you know, he, his routine when he gets over the ball is extremely fast. So the, can you see this video now, Trake, of, of Matt Jones? Yeah. So if you if you watch this guy, he comes up out of out of the out of the think box, let's say, right, and into the play box, and it's right around four seconds every time he comes up to the ball, quick check to the target, and then he lets it rip, boom. And you know he's the, the thing I'm looking for here is consistency. And I've been you know in groups where there's guys that are 20 seconds here. And there's guys that are five seconds here. I remember when I was caddying for Brady Schnell and the waste management Monday open qualifier, three guys in our group all on the corn Ferry tour. And one guy was like literally 30 seconds over the ball. And the other guy was like three seconds and Brady was somewhere in the middle. And I asked him and I said, you know, are guys that long over the ball? And he said, for every one guy there is like a Matt Jones, that's a five second guy over the ball. There's 25 of the guy that's 30 seconds over the ball. And you know, I'm not as concerned about how long you're over the ball. I'm more concerned about are you consistent the same when you get over the ball? And I think consistency in the routine is what I'm looking at. But I also feel like the quicker you can be, the less opportunity there is to allow negative thoughts or second guessing of your target and thing to roll in there. So, Drake, let me ask you the question in terms of the time you have over the ball. Are you looking mostly for consistency or are you looking for guys that are quick like Matt Jones? Do you think he's too quick? Break that down for us from your perspective. Yeah, I think consistency of routine, like you said, is is obviously number one. And you look at, you know, there's videos of Tiger out there, the same thing where, where people time him and he just does not change whether it's the last putt on the 18th hole, you know, Torrey Pines to win a U.S. Open or, you know, on the practice putting green before the round if he's going through his routine. It's just always the same. I think that's how guys best translate into any environment and just get into their hourglass like we talked about. It's just it's just hourglass, 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 no matter where I am, practice round, practicing, masters, no matter what. I think that's how you translate different environments and handle that. Um, to dive deeper, I do think, I think there's a difference in your routine of like, okay, I'm, I'm figuring out the yardage, what club I'm going to hit, like all that kind of situ- being aware of the situation stuff. And then once I get over the ball and like into the play box, I think that the shorter the time between like your last look between target and pulling the trigger is key. I think guys who look at the target and then they come back to the ball and they look at the ball and they waggle and they're still looking at the ball. It gets really hard to pull the trigger. And I think 
guys that you see get, you know, the quote unquote yips or, you know, they can't take it away. It's they get so focused on right in front of them and hitting the ball that they've totally lost their target. And I think a lot of guys talk about like how to make golf a reactionary sport, you know, like basketball or football, you know, you got to throw it when the guy's open or before he's open, you got to shoot it when you're open, you know, golf, it's like you can pull the trigger whenever you want. And that's almost what makes it hard. And the guys who are really good, I think at target, and as soon as they get back to the ball, pulling the trigger is they're just reacting to what they see, whether it's, it's putting, you know, you're seeing the speed back to the ball and they're just kind of rolling, rolling with it from there. You're, you're seeing the shot back to the ball and just painting that picture right away. Versus like you said, you see target, you come back. Everything you do from here is just an opportunity for thoughts to come in, doubt to come in. And then at that point, it's okay. Do I pull the trigger and a yellow light or do I start over? Right. So I think you can have a two minute routine getting ready to hit the ball. But once you get in there, I think what Matt Jones does is great because it's target shoot. Like you've done all the work, right? Yep. yep. Now that makes it way easier to see, feel, trust, let it go. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to when I see routines. I love that. And I think one of the drills that we do with golfers, obviously, right, is we have them write down their routines, write down what they're doing in that, in that hourglass, the top part that we call the think box, write down what you're doing here to data gather. You, you cross the line, you come up to your ball, you're in the middle of that hourglass. What are you doing there? And then how do you let go of that shot and writing it down and then videotaping the golfers actually doing it, letting them look at what they wrote, letting them watch their video. And, and I meant the uh, drill I do now is I'll go, you know, and set that up on the range so we don't have to walk the next shots. And I'll set up a camera and say, I want you to hit 10 shots. And we're going to start a timer, just like you saw with Matt Jones. We're going to start a timer from the time you finish your breath and start walking towards the ball until you hit the ball. 10 shots, 10 times, how close can you get? And that helps, I think, bring uh, an awareness to the routine of, okay, these shots, I was a little bit longer or these shots, I was quicker. And trying to get them to feel what that tempo and that rhythm is so they can be more aware of it. Uh, a couple questions coming in here, Trey. In the last couple of minutes, we got on the Breakfast Balls podcast here, live recording on No Filter Network. Question came in. It said, what should the weekend bogey golfer be doing to better his game? Other, other, other than Advil. What should the weekend bogey golfer, in your case, Trey, what's the one thing, and I'm not even a bogey golfer yet. I played run around in my life where I was triple bogey or better on every hole. So for those golfers that are bogey or, or worse, right? So they're the 18 handicappers plus. What's the one thing that you would say they need to be doing to, to maximize their game right now, whether it be mental, physical, putting, short game, distance off the tee? What's the thing they need to be doing? Yeah, I, mean, I think I think from a strategy standpoint, and you've experienced this, we've been out there playing a lot together. I think you need to be aware of what you are as a golfer when it comes to strategy at that point, because if if you're trying to break a hundred, like five is okay. So your strategy doesn't have to be. I have to hit the fairway. I have to get it on the green and two. I have to two putt, right? Like that's, that's what a scratch golfer does. You know, in your situation, I'm like, Hey, let's hit, let's hit mostly drivers. Let's get as close as possible, right? If we get in trouble, let's get out of trouble, get ourselves to a chance to get on the green and three, two putt and move on. We got a five. You do that all the way around. You shoot 90, right? Like someone who's, who shoots a hundred that's trying to shoot 90, like that's the way you do it. Um, I think too often, and our guys are the same way. I don't think it ever changes no matter what score you shoot is they get lost in what it actually looks like when you're playing out there, you know? So I think some perspective on the difference from a hundred to 90 is just like, when you get in trouble, get out, 
Like get it on the green and three, two putt. If you're green side, don't make a six. Like I can remember the coach. It was like, if you make a four from 40, you did something wrong. If you're within 40 yards, you should be able to get it on and two putt and move on. Right. Like those are the little things that add up when you're trying to break 90 or a hundred and maybe it doesn't look flashy, but it's a lot more fun shooting 88 because you pitched it out, pitched it on the green, two putted and moved on. Then, you know, you try to hit a hero shot with your buddies and maybe that's what you want to do. You know, some guys like, like I go out there, I get in trouble. Let's, let's hit a hero shot. It, we're just having fun, you know, but if you're playing in the club championship in the sea flight, like pitch it out, pitch it on the green, move on. Like that's going to be a lot more fun when you're signing your scorecard at the end of the day than going out there trying to be a hero. Yeah. Yeah. I try to probably make too many hero shots. I mean, but my problem is that right now, you know, he's talking about knowing yourself. And I think this is the last piece here of today's podcast is knowing yourself as a golfer. I'm struggling right now to hit the ball from the tee into the fairway. That's my biggest challenge. I'm hitting the ball out of bounds and I'm taking too many drops. So if I can play around where let's even say 15 out of 18, right? So if I can get 15 out of 18 balls playable off the tee, not even in the fairway, just playable, I think I'll be able to, 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 to break a hundred or even go lower. But right now my problem is I'm literally giving away 10 to 20 strokes because I have to take so many drops during the course of a round. So that's where I'm going after. And, you know, I'm in pursuit. Much like many of the people here joining us in the chat in pursuit of uh, trying to to set the new house record. I, I had a house record and then we played in Mexico. My wife and I played in Cancun at the Riviera Maya El Chameleon for this French Bulldog Mexican painted trophy, which she won 11 to nothing. We played front nine, back nine overall match and stroke play. So six points available. She took 11. And I know you're going, well, Kaner, at least you got one. No, we tied on one. So she got 11 points total. I got zero. Until next week, Drake, with the Breakfast Balls podcast. Don't count the days. Make the days count. Dominate the day. Thanks for being with us, David, Joe, and uh, Drake. Glad you're here, man. We'll be looking forward to catching you guys this weekend, following you online. And until next week, dominate the day. Hey, thanks for checking out this podcast. This is Brian Kane, and I would love for you to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show. I'd also love to engage with you directly on social media. So please reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. And then make sure you head over to BrianKane.com and check out some of our articles on our blog, some of our videos. And if you're a coach looking to master mental performance and up your game so you can help your clients get the results they've been looking for. Check out my Mental Performance Mastery Coaches Certification, where we teach you about the mindset, routines, and habits that your clients need to get the results they've been looking for. If you're an athlete or a performer listening to this podcast, head over to briancane.com and click on Athletes. Check out my 30 Days to Mental Performance Mastery for Athletes program, where I walk you through and coach you virtually to help you master the mental game and give yourself the best chance for success. Thanks for being with us here on the podcast. Let's dominate the day.